Welcome to the Ferguson Library Podcast, brought to you by the Public Library here in Stamford, Connecticut. In this episode, we bring you Malika Adero, author of Vice President Kamala Harris, Her Path to the White House. This event took place on December 6, 2021, and was live-streamed over Zoom. Malika Adero was introduced by Ferguson Library Associate Director Elizabeth Joseph. We are thrilled to welcome author and fellow librarian Malika Adero this evening to talk about her latest book, Vice President Kamala Harris, Her Path to the White House, the first fully illustrated book on the Vice President's life and work and a retrospective that celebrates her barrier-breaking achievements. Even as a high school student, Malika knew she wanted to work in the book publishing industry. Someone had to decide who was published and why not me, she thought. She's achieved more than that early wish. As the VP and senior editor at Atria Books, Malika has worked with names such as Common, T.D. Jakes, Nelson Mandela, James Meredith, Blair Underwood, and Zane, to name a few. Malika was drawn to the art of storytelling from a young age. She's a modern Renaissance woman talented in both dance and visual arts. We are also proud to call her a fellow colleague because prior to finding her success as an editor, literary agent, and author, she was a reference librarian for a while at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In 1980, Malika was a part of the inaugural class of the Howard University Book Publishing Institute, a workshop training minorities and women for careers in the magazine and book publishing industry. This was her entree into the world of conventional book publishing. Since then, she has held editorial positions in the publishing industry for more than 30 years. As an author, she wrote, A Black Woman Did That, World Changing Woman, and Up South, Stories, Studies, and Letters of the Centuries, African American Migration, and now this book on RVP. So without further ado, um, here's Malika Darrow. answer one frequently asked question or assumption at the top. I have not yet met the vice president. I do not have that kind of access. <laughs> and I'll tell you uh, again why And um, I did the book and how I came to do it. But I'll read a couple of uh, paragraphs that kind of set the stage for what my intention was with the book. Women in America, in the American sea of social change, have been like water, necessary and appreciated within limits, but often disrespected and taken for granted. We gather, move, and grow over time and distance with steps forward and steps back, movement forward and movement back, rarely equated with power until we crash into the status quo so dramatically that the landscape washes, um, that we wash over bears little resemblance to what it was before. 
the election of a woman, Kamala Debbie Harris, for the first time ever to the second highest office in the land, signals that a new height has been reached in American politics, another glass ceiling shattered. Since 1872, when Victoria Clapin Woodall ran for president as a candidate for the Equal Rights Party, and as recently as 2016, when Hillary Rodham Clinton was the first woman running for president on a major party ticket, women have pursued but never won a seat in our executive branch of government. Internationally, women have been leading their nations for decades. Indira Gandhi in India, Golda Meir in Israel, Margaret Thatcher in England, Benazir Bhutto, Pakistan, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, Liberia, Angela Merkel in Germany. The United States has finally caught the wave, inaugurating Kamala Harris as vice president in 2021. So this time last year, um, if you were like me, you were breathing a sigh of relief that the Democratic Party uh, was victorious and a little bit stunned that we had a female, black, uh, a female vice president, a black vice president, an Asian American vice president. Um, I was already by that time promoting this book, A Black Woman Did That, 42 Boundary-Breaking, Bar-Raising, World-Changing Women. Um, it was, uh, the, the publication date was February 2020. So it came out right before the lockdown. In fact, I did three events in three different states, and then everything kind of shut down. And, um, and then all that became virtual. But my publisher agreed with me that if we did nothing else, we had to revise the book to include Kamala Harris as soon as we could. And so we did that last summer in the third printing. So now it's not 42 women, it's 43. And you'll see an illustration of Kamala Harris right here next to Oprah. So when I got the call inviting me to write the text for Vice President Kamala Harris, her path to the White House, I was already in the midst of doing research on her and writing about her. Um, I would have been kind of nosing around to find out who she was anyway, because I am uh, a passionate and engaged voter and was then and am now concerned about our democracy and the health of it. So I want to know who these people are that we're electing to office. Um, so despite the fact that the book needed to be done very quickly, as I said, I got the call about this time last year, and uh, I needed to be done with the text by mid-February to get the book in production, um, I got to work. But we were on lockdown, and um, my brother uh, stays with me, and I have, I have a house in Atlanta. So as he and I and my sister across the street, but I spent most of that time alone. So while some people were baking and maybe even making babies, I was writing a book. 
Um, they actually wanted it out uh, earlier than, than November, but um, many other extraordinary uh, incidents overwhelmed us, including what you're famous, what people know of now as supply chain problems. You know, so what um, began as an October 5th release date became a November 16th um, release date. So not having access uh, to the vice president, uh, access to her time to ask her hours of questions. I did what I, uh, I engaged in the process that I did with a black woman, did that in read everything I could about Kamala Harris. So I sort of did the work for other people who want to know who she is. I scoured um, local newspapers, not only in the United States, but in India and in Jamaica. I spent hours watching YouTube interviews of her. Um, I read her book, of course, and, and again, everything I could read about her. And also, um, you know, this is the story of Kamala Harris and where she comes from, her um, family background and all that. But what I wanted to do was put her story in context, because this is more than just uh, a story of an individual personal achievement. Um, this is our story. It was our victory. Um, so I talk about what representation in government has meant in the United States from the beginning. You know, as I, I read in the first two paragraphs, talking about, you know, the the, the women who ran um, early in the history of this country. I also talk about the um, black candidates who ran. Um, and, and the, the, the long gaps in time between victories, you know, um, progress is not a steady incline. Um, it, it goes up and down and certainly the, the experience of African-American achievement has been one of inclines and declines. Um, so I write about that. As far as her personal background, um, I fell in love with who she is as a person um, because, to my mind, with her mother, born and raised in Chennai, India, her father in Jamaica, uh, them coming to California, to Berkeley uh, in the 60s, um, they represent a fundamental aspect of what America is to me that we don't see projected so much. Um, Kamala Harris' birthday is October 20th, 1964, in Northern California, in the Bay Area, uh, a time and place that was the epicenter of all sorts of movements for social change, um, Black liberation movement, civil rights movement, the women's movement, the anti-war movement. Um, it was there. Um, these two individuals, one from Jamaica, one from India, both came here um, in search of uh, the best education they could get. They were both ambitious young people and both um, were, it had social change on their minds. They both came from long and strong intellectual traditions, 
from back home and um, raised with the impulse to do better, not only for themselves, but for the society, for their communities. And so they met at um, an African-American association um, gathering, the kind of gathering that happened in the 60s, uh, kind of political education, self-education. People of color were gathering to, um, to, to learn the things that they could not learn even in the best universities of California. Um, to learn about black history, to learn about um, uh, it, what had been done before them and, and on whose shoulders they stood. Um, this also marked the, the early days of the black studies movement in this country. Um, so they were actively a part of what led to uh, departments of African-American studies and African studies and Asian studies. Um, so they, they represent that aspect too. Um, she was raised in a black community and as she said many times uh, on the campaign trail, her mother in particular, Indian, raised her to be a black woman. And I learned that that was more than just um, uh, a politician speech talk. Uh, what it meant in Kamala's case is that on Sundays, they were going to a, a, a black church. And um, if any of you have been raised in the black church, um, she was learning the same hymns and songs that we learned, you know. Um, she spent Thursdays, every Thursday, at the um, cultural center in her community. It was called the Rainbow Sign. Um, there were um, cultural centers um, that opened across America in black communities in probably every state um, that became um, our way of feeding ourselves culturally and reinforcing um, the, the, with positive messages, the negative messages that we were hearing from the larger society and the media. So on Thursdays at the Rainbow Sign, she was being introduced to and actually seeing and hearing in person writers such as James Baldwin and Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou, of course, is from Northern California. So she was a, a hometown uh, um, talent and, and leader in the community. Um, so they come from that. Um, when Kamala, uh, by the time she gets to high school, her mother has an opportunity to um, work in her field, which was cancer research, and move the family to Canada. Um, so she had that experience, and she wasn't so happy about it. You know, to, you can read in her memoir and read here. Um, she said she was terrible at French, and um, and while she got used to it, she wasn't excited. She missed California, um, but you know, she got into it. Kids adjust, and her and her sister. Um, but they did return to to California. Um, they returned to California back in her community, and it's time for her to go to college. Um, her family at home and her extended family of friends talked to her about going to a historically black college and, and sharing their experience going to a historically black college, and that's how she ends up at Howard University. Um, 
I myself went to an HBCU. I'm a, a graduate of Clark College and Atlanta University, which is now Clark Atlanta University. Um, back in the olden times when I went, they were not yet merged. Um, but uh, I so much related to how at home she felt in that sphere because she and I are products of um, school integration. I went to a public high school where I was um, the only black girl in my graduating class. We were 13 out of 1,200. So I know what that experience was about. So I know how heavenly it felt to her when she arrives on the campus of Howard University in DC to see young people who look like her and, and um, has her sensibility and, and has fun the way she has fun and all that. And then she um, pledges a sorority, uh, something that I did not, you know, but that's an, a, another matter. But there's a long and rich history of black sororities and fraternities um, that not only uh, served a social role for students, um, but a, a service role in the community. So I talk about that as well. So it's a broad look at, at Kamala. Uh, it's a commemorative book. Um, this book, and, and as was stated, I've, I've been, I'm a veteran book publishing person. Um, and it, there's a long tradition of books of this sort being published, uh, including by magazines. You know, those of us who are at a certain age can remember those books that Look Magazine and Time Magazine would do to mark big occasions in, in our society, big events and, and uh, influential people. Um, also, for many of us, um, it represents the kind of work that Johnson Publications did, um, holding up black heroines and, and heroes in our community. Um, so now we don't have those, uh, that black media um, doing um, that kind of publishing so much now. So I was happy to do that. Uh, and it's one of the things that, that excites me. For most of my career, I have um, published fiction and nonfiction of other people's books as an editor. Um, very rarely was I able to work on the kind of big, splashy visual books like this. So that was very exciting to me. They're not easy to do because they're expensive. Uh, so again, I appreciate your support in buying the book. But it is the kind of book that you want for your family to mark the occasion of our cultural victory, our political victory, um, and just people and things that, that make and change world history. Malika Adero's book can be found at the Ferguson Library and at bookstores nationwide. She can be found at malikaadero.com. That's M-A-L-A-I-K-A-A-D-E-R-O.com. If you'd like to see an extended version of this talk, complete with Q&A, please visit the library's YouTube channel. Thank you for listening.